week I started off on the, the, the welcoming prayer and I actually had a pretty decent rough draft started and, and then on Saturday afternoon, uh, actually uh, Friday afternoon, uh, I go, this isn't working too well. So I kind of switched gears here <laughs> as often happens. So just talking about uh, continuing on this vein with, uh, with the heart and examining our heart and looking at that and just thinking about the, that relationship between the heart and, and intimacy and how we um, often struggle uh, to find that intimacy because uh, we've all probably been wounded at one time or another in life and, and just being willing to trust uh, someone else or trust God and just open up our hearts to that person. So we're going to talk about that intimacy uh, today. And I wanted to read at first from just the NRSV, and this is uh, from the Gospel of John, the, the 13th chapter, starting with verse 23. Uh, one of his disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. And then if we move on forward to uh, the 25th verse, so while reclining next to Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? And it's always kind of interesting to read these different uh, translations. <clears throat> And I believe, as far as I can tell, this is from the, the Jerusalem Bible. And those same verses read this way, and you'll get a completely, at least I get a completely different uh, image. The disciple Jesus loved was reclining next to Jesus. The disciple that Jesus loved was reclining next to Jesus. And he leaned back <clears throat> on Jesus' breast. Very different, huh? <laughs> very, very different. And so it's this very intimate picture of John leaning against Jesus and just holding his head, resting his head on his breast or his chest there. And every time I, I read that, I don't think Jesus was going like this. <laughs> he, he would have wrapped his arms around John. And so it's this very intimate picture of Jesus and Christ. And it might even make some of us uncomfortable. <laughs> thinking about that shared intimacy that they have there. And so as we take some time just to pray and to reflect on that, uh, what is intimacy? How would you define intimacy? Let's just take a few moments to, to pray and to reflect on that. Let us pray. Yeah, all, all good thoughts there? Okay. Well, I wanted to, to share just a couple uh, thoughts on, on that intimacy and um, kind of, <clears throat> I think it'd be safe to say that, um, that maybe we all struggle with it from time to time, uh, but also I think men tend to struggle with int intimacy more than women. And, uh, and I'm not sure why, but that was certainly my <laughs> situation growing up. You know, I knew my, I was deeply loved by my father, but the uh, the intimacy piece that we could share with one another was really, uh, was really a, a struggle at the same time. <clears throat> and as a child, uh, I remember playing catch uh, with my dad and hitting baseballs as he, as he pitched to me. And we would stay outside at night in the spring and in the summer until it was too dark to see. And I especially remember on Sunday nights, our family, I always loved Sunday night as a family because we kind of we were all winding down and getting ready for the week. And on Sunday nights, mom and dad and my sister and I, we would sit on this threadbare brown couch. And we would watch the wonderful world of Disney. I just loved that show. It was just magical and all the places they would take you. <clears throat> and so we'd watch the wonderful world of Disney 
while we were eating buttered popcorn. And I didn't maybe have the words to describe why I enjoyed that time so much, but I think there was an intimacy there that we shared with one another. <clears throat> and we had this big um, plastic yellow bowl that we would put all the popcorn in and have smaller bowls. And Dad, he got to hold the big yellow bowl. No one else did. <laughs> and then when the popcorn was gone and you just had the, the, the kernels left, we would fight. I always I put the preface here. We would kindly fight over who got to eat the half-cooked kernels, because that was the best popcorn of all. And usually it was Dad, because he had, had the big bowl there. <laughs> and I can remember Dad watched me pick three boxes of asparagus on a small family farm one Saturday morning, because he had caught me stealing a baseball and some baseball cards from the local five-and-dime store. And I had to earn the money and it just happened to be asparagus season. So I was out there in the field picking asparagus while he watched. <clears throat> and had to pay for this stolen merchandise. And what I really remember is dad didn't really say a whole lot to me about what I had done in stealing the baseball. He just told me, be honest. Be honest. And that was it. And I remember driving into town. We were in Grandview, Washington. And and just my embarrassment of having to go to the store manager and present this money to him, tell him what I did. And dad was waiting for me in the car. And I especially remember that that night we were out playing catch again. And how special that was. But nothing was really said. And then as time passed and when I left for college, I was dreading, absolutely dreading saying goodbye to my parents just thinking about what that was going to be like, especially my mom. And she had been crying on and off all summer long just thinking about it. <laughs> and we talked about it quite a bit. <laughs> and, but my dad, he just made sure that my car was ready for the trip to Amarillo, and I, and I went to school south of Amarillo. And he kind of kept to himself. And he was working in the barn all summer long, in the barn that he had built. And when that day came that I had been dreading, my mom and I, we hugged each other and we told each other how much we loved each other. And it went really well. I was just shocked. I think we had all cried it all out or something. But I also remember my dad, my father. And he was kind of hanging back in the shadows under the eave of the garage. And after my mom and I released one another there, he stepped forward. And he shook my hand, but neither of us could say anything because the tears were just forming within us there. And I remember just getting into my car, which was spotless, because Dad had cleaned it yesterday for me. And that was his way of showing me that he loved me in that intimacy, but there was still something that was missing there. And in my mid-twenties, I remember my dad and I, we, we flew to, to Dallas for Dr. Sewell's funeral, who was a very good uh, family friend of ours. And I think about Dr. Sewell often because some of the feelings in my mouth are from Dr. Sewell. <laughs> <laughs> and every time I go to the dentist and someone says, the new dentist says, well, you must have had a good dentist. I say, yeah, we did, Dr. Sewell. <laughs> so I think about him often. He was a good family friend and he had died suddenly from a heart attack. 
And I remember walking down the aisle of the United Methodist Church that I had grown up in. And as dad and I passed the open casket in front of the communion rail, really not much different from this one, as we passed that open casket with, with Dr. Sewell in there, I thought about how our family had many times knelt at that very same communion rail with Dr. Sewell and, and his family and Parker and Amy on either side of us were all just mixed up and how often we shared those moments together. And what I remember specifically and vividly though is I saw my dad cry for the very first time. And much later in life, when my dad was in hospice care, I remember sitting by his side while he laid in bed and his green eyes just slowly opening and closing. And we instinctively reached out and held each other's hands. It just seemed so natural and so right. Something that we never would have done before. And we were holding each other's hands. And he told me he loved me and I said the same to him. And those words and the affection that both of us struggled to say and to manifest came so easily at last. It was an intimate gift that I will forever cherish. And Father Ron Rollheiser, he writes, more than anything, our hearts crave the warmth and the trust of intimacy. I think this is universal. Our hearts crave the warmth and the trust of intimacy. But we struggle to be intimate and to share those deep inner thoughts. Intimacy involves being vulnerable and taking risk. <clears throat> it's allowing another person to see us as we are. Intimacy is a, is a desire <clears throat> to be deeply known, says Victoria Smith, who's a clinical psychologist. And what is our, our biggest fear in life? It might be different things, but I think one of our fears is to bear our souls to let our hearts be seen, and then to be rejected or to be abandoned. And Henry Nouwen, he reflects, <clears throat> he says, whom can we level with? To whom can we bear our souls? Whom do we dare tell that we are benevolent and we are malevolent? Who can we share that we are compassionate and we are also vindictive? That we are selfless and selfish? That beneath our brave words, lives a frightened child. And who can we share our inmost thoughts and feelings with and, and open up and trust them and know that those thoughts and who we are will be held in a very sacred place. And I don't know if anyone can escape childhood unwounded to say nothing of our adult lives. So we learn to share our hearts very carefully and we run the risk of never opening up our hearts to another. Why should we risk being hurt again? But we crave and we yearn for intimacy. And now one says, if fear is the great enemy of intimacy, then love is its friend. And we read in 1 John that God is love and all these stories we, we take time to discuss. It's really just about the love of God. And if God is love, then God is is also intimate. And we have this beautiful passage of John and Jesus. 
The disciple Jesus loved was reclining next to Jesus. And he leaned back on Jesus' breast. And Brennan Manning, he writes, that we must not hurry past this scene in search of deeper revelation, or we will miss magnificent insight. The disciple, John, completely trusts Jesus. He is not afraid of him at all. And John rests his head on the heartbeat of God. He rests his head on the heartbeat of the great rabbi. And he comes to experience this tremendous intimacy. And it defines his life from there on out. He is deeply known. And he is vulnerable. And he is fully accepted and forgiven. And it's not a belief. It's a deep knowing. And only in relationship of the deepest intimacy can we allow another person to know us as we truly are, says Manning. And isn't this what we desire? To be truly known and to be accepted and to be forgiven. And Jesus shows us that grace and love that it is terribly personal, terribly immediate, and terribly Terribly urgent, says Manning. And my prayer for all of us is that we may love as Christ loved us and that we may risk intimacy and fall into abundant life. Amen.